0: now the question is, how do Jews live out their Jewishness when they can't do the very thing that makes it what it is, that makes it a community?
1: I think for me, one of the, the big challenges is that Jesus is constantly undermining social distance. And so here we are being told not to To come close to others, which, as you have mentioned in your tradition, is doubly difficult because of practices and piety.
0: What do you mean, piety?
1: Well, I don't know. I was looking for words. I'm I'm on uh, a lot of Advil because of a lower back issue. I think, B that I'm on more prescriptions now than you are. No, no. I think I have finally outpaced you. You know, last time you referred to me as just your nameless producer but you know you, sh- you should call me something and I've come up with the best name the voice of God oh, oh my gosh <laughs> I get to do these fun intros for you two where I listen to the audio that you record on your own and I listen for the, the cool moments and and I, I really I've always wanted to be in one of those how do I get into one of those we got to talk about something funny enough to qualify for the intro to God for grown-ups Oh, so uh, we didn't get that with the drugs. <laughs> there, there it is right there. That was perfect. Hi, I'm Dan. I'm B. And this is God for Grownups. And our topic, we're looking at how the coronavirus is specifically affecting our communities of faith. So in my case... Obviously the Christian community, the Lutheran community specifically, and B.
0: Yeah, the Jewish community. That sound you hear in the background is my dog. We're each in our own homes. I've been in PJs for a week. Have you? Probably Dan hasn't because he's usually really well put together.
1: I don't yeah, I don't I don't own anything like that. I sleep in a suit. I bet you do. I have been distracted throughout the day by my next door neighbor, who their daughter has a, a net for looks like lacrosse. And so she throws the ball against that net and catches it and she does it all day. <laughs> and it's right outside the window of the room where I work. But it actually can be heard not only throughout the rest of the house, but down onto the street, up to half a block away. And there is nothing I can do. I thought about writing a note, but that never goes over very well. But there's, she's not breaking a law. It's just, unless she does this after 10 p.m. So it's terrible. This has been a very difficult time for me.
0: All right. Well, how about,
1: how about you? What are you facing besides a barking dog?
0: <laughs> yeah, Sammy is kind of an idiot. He barks at everything. There's a lot of stuff going on. In my family, there's a lot of stuff going on in my community. I think people are struggling a lot right now. Um, it's actually not as hard for me to be at home because I'm a little bit of a homebody, but I'm also an extrovert. Um, so this has been very difficult in that regard. And one of my kids is an extrovert, and one's an introvert. So we're just trying to meet everybody's needs and keep them going with school and uh, try to get some semblance of normalcy in the midst of everything. And in that way, it probably looks like almost everybody else's experience. But I feel really lucky because I have a home to hunker down in and I have food to eat and I have the health care we need if, God forbid, we get sick. And I think one of the things we're seeing today in the world is how many people don't have those things that they need.
1: I think you're probably the only person I know who's both an extrovert and a homebody. I just don't. Really understand that. I know. Uh, <laughs> uh, I people keep talking about how terrible the isolation is, and I, I as an introvert, I just think this is uh, the, this is glorious in one way. Oh my god! And it's it, I can stay at home and I can get work done. And I kept thinking, you know what? I'm going to get all my tasks done for work, you know, early, and then I can work on other things. That's not happening at all, but. The very idea of getting to stay home like this—I wish it was in a in a positive context, because it's a positive in some ways for me, except for the fact that the heat in this house makes my eyes dry.
0: And how are so, we friends? We are such radically different people. It is amazing to me, and I just feel so lucky that we somehow found each other.
1: I have Even no though- idea. Yeah, I, it's it's a complete mystery. It would probably be one of those mysteries of God kind of questions. How is it that Dan and B are friends? Yes. How is it that they get along when they are so different? When B herself is a contradiction, an extroverted homebody.
0: Aren't we all? I think we all are contradictions, but yes. And this, this very um, strange time that we're in, I think is bringing out a lot of these inner contradictions. And, um, And as we were talking about right before we started recording, um, it's creating crises in communities. You are a minister that has to deal with this very important holy season at a time when people are supposed to stay home and ways in which you're supposed to celebrate community would not be appropriate at this time or acceptable. And... I am part of a community that we're supposed to have one of our big everybody get together celebrations coming up, and we're not going to be able to do that for each other.
1: I have so many thoughts there. I mean, we're uh, pre-recording our services and then posting them in audio format online. And up until this week, we were able to meet together, seated far apart, but meet together about eight, eight or so people. The choir, the choir director, uh, the cantor thats is myself—and a reader uh, or two, two lectors, and it was great. I mean, we were able to record the service. We did a couple. I, I thought we should do a couple, anticipating this could this could stretch out at least a few weeks. But at the same time, it's been really bizarre because I record my sermons at a different time. I don't want to keep people for two or three worship services. That we're recording, and then have them also listen to sermons that I'm not yet finished working on. But the last one, I, I went down to the church at night and preached to a dark, empty sanctuary, and it was a kind of, it was a fascinating experience actually. Wow. And really, uh, I kept thinking it, it's really suggestive for the time that we're in. That for a Christian, obviously, we're not only dealing with the coronavirus like everyone else, but we're in the season of Lent, which is. A period of reflection and and uh, anticipation, uh, in fact, of uh, Jesus's death—obviously not in a good sense—but uh, we look we look uh, at that death as sort of uh, casting the mood for for a season. And so, to have all these bound up together, the trouble is, of course, that when it comes to to Easter, how do you celebrate Easter? in a season that still feels like Lent. I mean, Lent's probably the best way to describe what we're going through from a Christian perspective. To celebrate life when life is still up for grabs, being taken by this virus seems uh, seems problematic to say the least.
0: Passover is a very different season and there's several things around this actually When you get to Passover, from Passover until Shavuot, which comes in the summer, um, is a counting off of weeks that we call the Omer. And it's historically a time uh, where several bad things happened. And while you're counting off the Omer, you're not supposed to do certain celebratory things like get married. And that kind of sadness and that kind of uh, sort of grief that you're holding, I think, is appropriate for what a lot of people are feeling right now. But Passover itself is incredibly celebratory of an important moment of redemption. And I've even seen people saying, maybe we should celebrate it a little bit late this year. You're supposed to have people come into your house, Jews, non-Jews. You're supposed to eat a great meal together. You're supposed to talk together. You have to tell the story of the Exodus from Egypt, of the redemption from slavery into freedom over the course of the Seders and all of these things. I actually think it's appropriate to have Passover at this very strange time because the word for Egypt, the place of slavery, the word for Egypt in Hebrew is mitraim, which means the narrow places. And I feel like we're in those narrow places and we're looking to liberation from that. We don't know when it's coming, but it's almost like we have to have faith that it will come.
1: I love how we're both able to thanks to our traditions to, to use narrative, to use story, to frame the experience we're now having, not only individually, but collectively. I like uh, that description of the narrow places. That's really, that's really fitting. I think the, the season of Lent is again, I think it it, it provides a kind of backdrop against which to try to understand what's happening. And I've just come to the conclusion though, that, that, I guess I've, I believe this for a long time, but I was, uh, I recently preached a sermon on, uh, Camus, the plague mm-hmm. where he talks about, uh, suffering. And I think the most comforting thing one can say about suffering, if anything, is that it's just random. And I, I find, uh, looking at, at both that from a seasonal perspective, um, Jesus is suffering that, I don't know that's kind of it's been on my mind to say the least how do I how do I make sense of this and, and and honestly I I I don't think there's a way of making sense to a lot of this it's 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 a biological fact that we're dealing with here it's a virus and while our traditions do give us the opportunity to to frame it according to stories that that we that we have there are some things I think that are I don't know. I, I wonder this a lot, actually, if there if there are some things that are simply out of our grasp when it comes to interpreting them through a narrative lens. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, that does make sense. And I do think that is how it can definitely work. Although I belong to a tradition where we naturally go back to texts and desperately want to make sense of lived experience because of pre-existing narrative. And we have those moments of narrative in um, ancient texts wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, those sorts of things. There's a real cultural problem, Jewishly, with what's being asked right now. Um, because culturally, we're talking about a group of people that touch a lot and are together a lot. And all of these things are unacceptable.
1: I've just come up with a fourth reason for why I'm not Jewish. What? They touch a lot.
0: Yeah, I know. I, I know this that, is why there have been jokes going around about how this, this whole experience is not too hard for wasps.
1: No, it's certainly not too, too hard for me. It's hard for my congregation though, because going against the grain of, of I think that at least the stereotype, they, they, when it comes to the sharing of the peace, which is a rite of reconciliation midway through the service, people want to hug and, and shake one another's hands. And it was really hard to, to tell a group that, that, looks forward to that, I think, in a lot of ways, uh, that we can't do it anymore. And then gradually to take away everything else, such that now our our services are recorded and are online, but we have lost contact with each other, at least directly. So that whole, that whole piece about touching, then, like I've said before, the dancing that I witnessed at your daughter's bat mitzvah, then the, the, the whole bacon thing. Uh, and then finally, uh, Jesus, of course, make it difficult. I didn't know that there would be a fourth, though. This is a new revelation for me.
0: It, well, it's a very physically affectionate, in-your-business, talk-about-everything sort of culture. And so people are having to make those connections virtually now. I told you that when this all started weeks ago... The first cases in the United States, my synagogue shut down. I remember telling you this. Um, And I I remember you kind of laughing because the synagogue shut down long before any of the churches did in the area.
1: Well, I was laughing at your response. Do you remember what you said? Not exactly. I said it was something like, I said, I can't believe you're shutting down already. And you're like, you said something like, we're Jews.
0: Oh, we cornered the market on neurosis.
1: It was probably, I don't know, can you have a good neurosis? I think in this case, it was certainly warranted.
0: Okay, so honestly, um, Judaism and Hinduism are the two longest living continuous cultures, right? Yeah. I've actually come across people who think that a degree of neurosis is responsible for survival
1: like what? What how would you give me an example? <laughs>
0: um well, uh, cleanliness for example. Neurosis about cleanliness definitely has health benefits.
1: It does? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I think in my case using all the sanitizer and everything is completely ruined my palm olive hands.
0: Are it's really Oh.
1: It's really bad. But oh, I want to go back to something you said before about, I mean that that kind of joke actually reflects a, a a high degree of privilege. And I've been thinking a lot about that lately. Last night, for example, I had to go to the church to pick up something. It's, it's otherwise been closed off. It's about 11 o'clock at night and I walk to the entrance and there's a homeless man sleeping next to the door. And I'm thinking to myself, wow. Okay. I'm, I, I woke the man up, uh, not to get, not, not to get him off our property. I don't mind him sleeping there. And I, and I say that on behalf of the congregation, but I just felt like, wow. Okay. So I'm going into a church and I have this privilege and here's a man who's sleeping out in the cold. I mean, it was probably maybe 40 degrees last night, something like that, which is really cold to me. And I was able to get, we have, uh, we have food kits that we prepared last year. I saw this at another church and I really liked the idea of having food kits that had bus passes and, and a list of resources. And so I went out and talked with him for a little while and gave him one of the food kits. But I thought, wow, as I was walking back to my car, I thought it was, I really Christ in that situation. That's what I'm called to be. Hmm. And I don't know if I was, I, I, I do know, and this is something that I think about a lot, I guess, you know, we, how determined our reading of culture is based on the narratives that we inherit I am stunned by the number of people who have come forward and contacted me to say things like, hey, if you need anybody to pick up groceries for someone, I can do that. Today, we did that for somebody who needed needed a prescription. And I thought, wow, that's really, it's really neat to see those things. But at the same time, there are a lot of, not a lot of, but I'm, I'm also self-critical and thinking about, okay, we're doing these other things for other people, but we still are doing them from a place of privilege. And that brings with it, I don't know, lots of, lots of things to consider.
0: Well, like, like what, if you're doing things to support other people, what else would you do?
1: Well, I think the question, at least in the example I gave is what more could have I done? So for example, we have a chapel that's empty. We've had, uh, my church decided, uh, based on my, my request, my recommendation following our, our administrator, that uh, we open our chapel up to a homeless man who sleeps on the side of the the church. And and I thought, yeah, that's, that's a no brainer. Uh, That's what we're called to do. Uh But now I wonder, okay, well, here's another gentleman who's out in the cold. Should I have uh, opened the chapel up for him? We, we have to make decisions like this. And last night I didn't do that with the other person I did, but so it raises questions, not only of what we do, what do we do, but how much do we do, of what, do we, of what we do?
0: Well, I think when you're talking about an epidemic, it complicates things. And um, there's a synagogue in Capitol Hill that regularly opens up its facilities at night for homeless people to sleep. Um, but when you are talking about an epidemic, it's not the same thing in terms of regulating people that are inside of a space. Um, what would be the benefit in inviting people to come into a space whereby they infect one another or infect other people? We're in a completely different context in that way.
1: Right. And I guess the question again is what, if anything, can our religious traditions help us see and do as we face this crisis? And I think for me, one of the, the big challenges is that Jesus is constantly undermining social distance. I mean, he's constantly reaching out to people who were ostracized because it was thought they could... I presumably communicate that disease to, to other people and so here we are being told not to come close to others which as you've mentioned in your tradition is is doubly difficult because of practices and piety but uh, and culture but but I guess there are some things that I think gosh you know thank God we don't apply these
0: what do you mean piety?
1: Well, I don't know. I was looking for words. I'm, I'm on uh, a lot of Advil because of a lower back issue. I'm I'm failing. I'm breaking oh, down.
0: You're Ill. okay. Yeah. No, I get that.
1: I attribute all, all, any. <laughs> I'm illustrating it right now. Any lack of articulation is because of the drugs. Let's just start okay. there. I think B that I'm on more prescriptions now than you are. No, I no. I think I have finally. No. I think I have finally outpaced you. You can go warp speed, but I can do the Kessel Run in less than twelve parsecs. I, I can go 0.5 past light speed. I think I have beaten you when it comes to how many medications I am currently taking. Oh, oh, there it is. Remember every every podcast we have that moment where a Star Wars or Star Trek reference is brought up? I didn't catch it. You didn't catch it. I was talking about how I outpace you that you go warp drive and I have the ship that did the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs. Oh,
0: sorry. that was a
1: Star Wars Star Trek reference. Warp okay. speed? Maybe you are on more drugs than I am B because no, you didn't no. recognize no. a reference to Star Trek.
0: No, that's likely. impossible. Life is really bad right now, and I am doing my best. The thing about Jewish community is that the community itself is sacred, but individual Jews don't necessarily have a particular kind of faith. You can belong to a synagogue, and you can go to prayer services and do the holidays and all that and not believe in God. And I actually have lots of friends in my Jewish community who identify as reform or reconstructionist or conservative or orthodox who don't necessarily have a relationship with God, but the Jewish community is a locus of meaning and the practices. And the practices in Judaism require community. The daily prayer services require that 10 people be together praying in order for it to quote unquote count. There are certain prayers that you cannot say without 10 people being there. So this is part of the challenge we're facing. It's not about individual faith that sometimes gets expression in community. The community is where the life is. And for some people, they might have faith. They might have a relationship with God, but they also might not. So now the question is, how do Jews live out their Jewishness when they can't do the very thing that makes it what it is, that makes it a community?
1: I think the 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 tendency among Christians is often to make faith an an individual or Personal thing. I think that's prevalent in our context. The language that uh, one must accept Jesus as one's Lord and personal Savior is quite prevalent, even though it never appears as a phrase in any of the 27 books of the New Testament. I think that there are other forms of Christianity, though, my own included, where community is quite essential to faith expression. We don't have a requirement of 10 people, Jesus says in Matthew 18 that where two or more gather, there I am. But that's even an issue now. So it's a problem. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, also in my, my tradition, he, uh, he talks about how Christ exists in the world as the congregation. And so for us not to be able to meet means that in some ways we're not able to incarnate really the, the, the faith that we practice and experience the the risen Christ not simply on our own before God but in and through one another before God. And and so it's it's had a maybe not the same effect but it certainly has had a major effect on on our faith expression as well and I I find for me that the hardest thing is to transition from community in person to community online.
0: So when faced with the challenge of not being able to be in the presence of other Jews, um, which is so central to what it means to live a Jewish life, Uh, people are having to get creative a little bit. I actually had a member of my synagogue place a request to use Zoom to create a digital minion. A minion is the group of 10 adult Jews you have to have present for you to complete any given prayer services. If you're Orthodox, it has to be 10 adult Jewish males, but obviously I'm not Orthodox. Um, And so there was a request saying, can we use Zoom in order to have a minion? Um, There are people saying that they can use uh, Zoom to do Passover seders together as well. So be present via screens in that regard. And I know a lot of Jewish people that are sustaining themselves emotionally and spiritually day in and day out by doing the daily page of Talmud study that is actually expected of all Jews, but most of us don't have time for So they are all studying a page of Talmud every day, and it's the same page of Talmud, so then they can talk to each other about what it is that they're studying. But another sort of challenge around this is the role of Jewish law. Jewish law is, of course, central to what it means to live a Jewish life. And according to Jewish law, a virtual minion, a Zoom gathering of 10 people to say prayer services for each other doesn't count. It's not the same thing. So actually, we're witnessing a complete renegotiation of what it means to form Jewish community, since the most important element of Jewish law and ethics is preserving life. That is now taking precedence over all of these other elements.
1: When you say preserving life, where does that come from? What's the what's the tradition? Where in the tradition does that come from?
0: Um, It comes from the texts and from interpretation of the texts and it's called Pikuach Nefesh, saving a life. And um, it shows up in rabbinic texts. It's derived from uh, Deuteronomy, choose life. And then it shows up Mishnah and Talmud and Midrashim and everything and in Jewish law. And it's considered to be the single most important categorical requirement.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I think, uh, again, for, for us if as Christians, I, I think you could break, uh, break apart the Christian faith or categorize it really in two ways here. There's a, a highly individualized expression of Christianity that is quite popular in our culture that doesn't really require community the way my tradition requires it, such that for my tradition, when two or more gather in Christ's name, the promises there He is. Bonhoeffer, in my tradition, talks about how Christ exists as the congregation, and the hardest thing for us is is not only not being able to gather, but but not being able to share in the Eucharist. And our denomination, as well as the Catholic and Episcopal denominations, will not allow us, uh, quote unquote, uh, to to uh, Practice the Eucharist online, so I can't. I'm not supposed to go online and and um, invite others to break bread with me and uh, and celebrate that that particular rite. It has to be done in person, and it makes sense. But a lot of people at the same time or they feel deprived of this. We've been practicing communion once every month, or I'm sorry, once a week. It used to be once a month. So we, we really, and that's really a high point of the service, the preached word and then the communion is the visible word of Christ. So we can't do that. All our meetings are online now. Um, but yeah, I think in some ways for us in this second category of Christianity, this is really, really difficult because we're so used to, to, uh, to making Christ the center. And Christ the center is something we experience where he's promised in the Eucharist and in community. Uh, and that's not happening now. What this has done is it's really raised for me the, the question of Christ outside community and whether such an experience within the, the Christian faith is, is even possible, ultimately. I, I don't know. I, there's part of me that, most of me, that wants to say yes, and I think it's because of the shared language that, that we have, that, that even when I am not with others, I am still informed and shaped by the community out of which I come and that includes the language that I use say in, in private prayer so so in that sense there is still community but I'm I, uh, I just have a lot of doubts about how this kind of practice could continue particularly for a span of weeks or months ahead. I've already had a, a Bible study that I love. Uh, midweek we did it by zoom and it was like the whole spirit for me at least was lost it was gone and i guess my question to you and to myself and to our listeners is really can these traditions survive the the uh the the transition from being in person to being online and right now i really i really have my doubts
0: You know, honestly, sometimes it's about saving lives. And that means that any tradition has to adapt. It has to evolve because there's there's no there's no way to require of people that they do something that puts lives at risk. It's not acceptable on this grand scale. And I have no doubts about how Judaism is going to evolve because it's been through worse.
1: Yeah, I think. I mean, I hear what you're saying. It's, uh, and I would agree. There's, we don't have a, a principle in our tradition. Although I, I know Deuteronomy 30 quite well in this regard. But if if all the commandments according to to Jesus uh, uh, hang on love God and love your neighbor, I can't imagine putting your neighbor at risk. Putting your neighbor at risk would be any. Would be acceptable in any kind of Christian worship service, right? So, I, I think you are right. I, I just, uh, I guess my question is more not whether of not whether my question is not about whether we should or should not meet. I think we shouldn't meet because people's lives are at stake. The question is, what kind of lives are they going to have moving forward when their faith is predicated entirely on the experience they have online?
0: By faith, what do you mean?
1: Well by faith I I guess I, I lump faith together with piety, devotion, practice, all of that.
0: Those are very, very different things, at least in a Jewish context, right It's really the only one that I would apply
1: in their practice. Yeah, yeah, I could see that.
0: Um, but I, and I do feel like um, this this moment in history, is asking for sort of a radical adaptation and evolution. Um, uh, I And perhaps silly about this, but I don't think it's permanent. Um, I think that we will have to have some very difficult conversations in the future when people have the opportunity to uh, reconvene and and be together whenever that will be about the role of these sort of virtual ways of connecting vis-a-vis Um, the experience of living within a community. I can't predict how those are going to go, but I'm hearing you say that you don't know what it will look like having adapted to this new reality, or you don't know that it can.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't. And I, I'm fascinated actually by, by what possibilities could emerge. I mean, it seems like it, will it be the case that people will once this virus, scare has passed and we, we once again gather and assemble, will people, will there be a spike in, uh, in attendance? I suspect there could be, but will that spike then die down and and we go back to business as usual? Or will this significantly increased reliance on technology change the way that we understand who we are and what we do when say we worship God and, I don't know. I, I, part, there's a big part of me that wants to see the good that can come out of it and the good that's already coming out of it. The fact that I mentioned before that people are stepping forward to volunteer and, and to see what people are doing, It really, it's really comforting. It's also challenging to my, to my theological anthropology, which, which expects otherwise. So, so that's been great. Uh, and I, I love in that regard being wrong about people.
0: I love that because I think I texted you that my theological anthropology took a hit because of hoarders.
1: That is interesting. Mine, mine got a boost from our volunteers.
0: Mm -hmm. And I've seen those volunteers, but I guess I could not believe people would be that awful to like buy up things they don't really need. And then the people who need them don't have them. But I will tell you this um, with what you were just saying. I think it was Emil Fackenheim who wrote about, History in light of the Holocaust as being marked by epoch-making events, E-P-O-C-H. And these are moments of uh, something happens that so changes the game that you enter the next epoch. And the Holocaust was one of those. And he describes it as there being a chasm. And what was before is not what is after. So it's not so much about you don't return to normal. Actually, now you're in a new space, right? Now it's new. It's shaped by what happened, And um, I I see that happening now.
1: And you have the confidence, I I gather, you have the confidence that no matter what happens, based on past experience, uh, the Jewish people will find a way.
0: Well, I think all people will, don't you?
1: I don't know. I I remember, I don't know if you, if you still say this, but I remember you uh, used to say in one of your classes or no, somebody in your class asked you a question about the future and you said, which I think is great when people ask questions like that, but, uh, but it was about survival in the future and whether human beings would still be here. And your answer was that you don't know, of course you don't, but if there are still human beings here, say in 500 years, there will be Jews among them, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I do think that.
1: <laughs> so I, I guess I wonder how, how, which I think is an incredible confidence. I love it. I I, uh, I guess I wonder how that applies here and how that, how that informs the way you see what might unfold in the days, weeks, months to come.
0: Right. No, that is not changed by current events. I also think there will be Christians.
1: I just hope they're nice.
0: I mean, this has been such a profoundly humanizing moment because it it does not matter who you are. Uh, Now it doesn't matter where you live, um, what you make for a living and and how you live and um, what your identity is in a myriad of ways. If you are infected with this virus, you're infected with it. And it's a great equalizer. And I think it has the capacity to be a great equalizer in some very um, good ways in the future after coming out on the other end, if people can take this message that every single one of us was at risk and stop dividing up the human race in some in all of these various hierarchies, if any of that could emerge, I think that would be a blessing to Judaism, Christianity and every other religious
1: tradition. I would agree 100% with that.
0: I really love that we're sitting here having this conversation about a big and important question while we're juggling a thousand elements of our lives. And I'm sitting here between several things that I'm getting done right now and worried about all kinds of things in my life. And you're worried about all kinds of things in your life. It is profoundly human. There's never a point at which human beings can extricate themselves from a human reality to think about these big issues. So we think about them from the midst of the reality. I'm grateful for that.
1: I'm grateful for the the kind of grace that comes along comes along with this kind of conversation That that for me, I don't have to get everything right, that there are some things in, in terms of the kind of preaching I do or the, the, the meetings that I'm having or the service that we're trying to do in the face of these obstacles or the conversations like this one that I'm trying to have. I guess when, when you're surrounded by a little more chaos, maybe, there's, maybe there needs to be a little more grace too when it comes to, to what we're doing and, and how we understand others and what they're doing. Absolutely. I just hope for grace in the midst of, in the midst of all of this.
0: Well, until next time, probably from a similar location, we wish all of our listeners the very best in the midst of this graces.
1: Goodbye.